0: Thank you, Ian. Uh, We'll have the Bible reading in just a moment, but I wanted to introduce this new series that we're going through on pain, and I uh, don't know if you've been to a theme park lately, but perhaps you remember the feeling when you get to the top of the roller coaster and you're just about to go over the front. That's sort of how I feel as we head into this series on pain. Uh, uh, we've sort of been planning for this. We've had a look at it, and um, here we go. Uh, so we trust that God's going. Uh, God's going to bless it. Um, I want to talk through through the goals and, and what what are we? Why are we doing this? What are we What are we looking for? Um, And if you're sort of an acronym person, we want to plow through the pain, all right? That's why we're doing this. We're going to plow through the pain. To plow means to sort of pull up the soil. And really, it's about preparing ourselves for pain that we either are experiencing or will experience in life. The Bible tells us to expect this. We also want to lower the expectations of ourselves. Sometimes if we drink too much of the world's Kool-Aid, we, we think that we're invincible, we think that we have to have it all together, and we think that we can't suffer, and so we get knocked off our feet when that happens. Uh, we also want to oppose attitudes of entitlement and ingratitude that often pain tries to sort of rob from us. Um, pain, pain sort of shakes that up. Uh, We also want to understand one another. And I feel like as a church, this is where we might see a lot of benefit to recognize that that everyone is going through something. As I was reminded this week, uh, Alistair Begg said in a sermon once that he, he just imagined the people walking into his church, everyone's pushing a wheelbarrow, a wheelbarrow of their own pain, and nobody talks about it. And there's different things in there, but everyone's got something in there. And so there's opportunity here for us to understand one another, to understand, to, be, to, to learn, to be educated, perhaps to reconcile, to encourage one another. Um, not just understanding, though, we want to glorify God. We, we, we want the reminder that in the midst of pain, God is bigger. It's not as if we cover our eyes to the pain so that we can see God. No, we want to see that God is bigger than the pain that we're going through. And ultimately what this means is it means to hallow or to set apart as holy our hurt. We want to hallow our hurt, Hallow our hurt for transformation. We do this through an act of worship that the Bible calls lament. So why are we doing this? This is the goal is that we would prepare that we would lower our expectations, that we would oppose ingratitude and entitlement, that we would understand one another, that we would glorify God and that we would hallow our hurt. Now, uh, just a few sort of, I'm going to, I don't have time for this one. We're going to come back to that in, in a future week. But um, there's a guy who, who wrote a thesis on pain, and, and I'm not sure this is exhaustive, but I thought it was, it was a fairly decent summary. He talked about ways that we suffer. And he said, you know, we can suffer from God's discipline uh, as well as our own sinful actions, right? There's, there's a suffering that comes from our own sin. There's a suffering of pain that comes from the proving of our faith, Being a Christian in the world today and living that out is going to come with a cost. Jesus talked a lot about this. We can suffer from the sinful actions of other people. It may have had nothing to do with us. And of course... Uh, we suffer from the fallen world that we inhabit. So again, this idea of pain, it's, it's not simply self-inflicted pain. It's not simply the fallen world. It's not simply what others have done to us. It's not simply because we follow, we follow Jesus, but all these uh, various things. So here's the overview. We're going to take the next six weeks to look at different types of pain. Today, we're looking at regret, which speaks of painful decisions, and we'll be jumping into 1 Samuel 15. Next week, we'll be looking at painful finances, or that feeling of being deprived, that feeling of scarcity and and, and of not having enough. Then the week after that, we'll be looking at painful bodies and minds and and what it means to be infirm. And then we're going to talk about painful losses, the the bereavement of having to grieve something that's gone. Uh, In week five, we're going to look at what it means to be abandoned or to be in other types of painful relationships. And finally, what it means to be caught, to be caught in uh, the sting of sin and the pain that comes from that. So that's a bit of where we're going. And I I, I encourage you, uh, just we understand that this may be really tough. And just because we're speaking about it and we're trying to talk about it from the Bible, doesn't mean that there's quick answers to what you're going through. Some of these may trigger you more than others. And the goal, is not, the goal is not simply to unsettle. That's not the goal. The goal is to try to allow God to stir up the ground in these hard places so that new things can grow. Because too often, pain leads us to solitude, to isolation, and to shame. And the church is not to be a place of shame. The church is a place of grace, and if we're going to learn to see each other and be gracious to one another, we need to be able to recognize pain, both in ourselves and others. So that's a little bit of an overview. I'm now going to invite Judy to come, and she's going to read our text for this morning as we prepare to discuss painful decisions. Uh, She's going to read to us from one, for me, one of the saddest stories uh, in the Bible. Thanks, Judy.
1: Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15 and we're going to read from verse 10 to verse 35. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions, I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is God's word.
0: Thank you, Judy. Uh, we're talking about regret this morning. We're speaking about uh, the hope and the healing for our decisions. Uh, we come to this chapter, and it's full of painful decisions. There's pain and regret is a key word that is all throughout this uh, chapter in First Samuel 15. Uh, as we begin, you might uh, you might agree with Emily P. Freeman who says it's the mites and the maybes of our lives that keep us awake at night. It's the mites and the maybes. It's the what-ifs and the if-onlys that are often the things that plague us, the things that go through our mind over and over and over again. I don't know how you're sleeping lately. It could be your sciatica acting up. Maybe it could be uh, indigestion. But oftentimes, when we wake and we can't go back to sleep, it's because our minds are so active. And often, this feeling of regret is this tormenting over thinking about what might have been or what maybe we should have done. Um, Psychology today estimates that human beings make upwards of 30,000 decisions a day. 30,000 decisions a day. As you're sitting right there in your seat, I could name at least five that you did right there. Why did you sit there? Why did you wear that shirt? Why did you wear those shoes? Which shoe did you put on first? Which leg did you put in your pants first? So you can see how these decisions just sort of cascade over and over and over and over, right? Maybe you've heard of decision fatigue. Sometimes as a parent, you get to that point where you're like, I don't care what we do, as long as there is sustenance in my gut at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We've survived another day. um, And we say, good luck for tomorrow. in his book, uh, Preaching through pain, Preaching to People in Pain, Michael Kim, he identifies in, in the area of decision-making four different spheres that can often cause us pain. And these are, these are very different, right? But he says that people, in, as they go through life, they tend to experience pain around these areas. The first area is around the area of sexual sins, around the area of abortion, around the area of adoption, The point with these decisions are, all those decisions have very lasting consequences, and oftentimes they're accompanied by strong impulses. And he notes that there's a lot of people who are struggling with regret over decisions made in these areas because of the lasting consequences of that. He cites a study in the U.S. that said one in a third of women in America have undergone an abortion. And how this is not talked about. And in a woman who wrote an article on, on how to preach to people, women who've undergone this, she said, you don't understand how the enemy weaponizes the silence. If in America a third of women are going through this and it's not talked about at all, this is just one area. There could be so many, many others right? But, in, but, but decisions made in, in the sexual arena, the decisions made with respect to human life, you, you know, you could add probably euthanasia to that category, right? Uh, End-of-life issues. These are decisions that have lasting consequences, and there's a lot of pain that comes around that. The second sphere that he talks about is pain around decisions of adult milestone commitments, adult milestone commitments. Uh, we often talk to people and say, oh, what do you do for a living? And they might say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a tradesman, or I work in finance, or uh, I'm in law, or, you know, I you know, f- fill in the blank. And you often come back to say, well, oh, how did you get into that? And sometimes it's difficult because people make a decision like that, and they don't realize what it's going to be like on the other side. Similarly, decisions about who you're going to marry, decisions about who, who you're going to, where you're going to live, Right? These adult commitments, you, you come to a fork in the road and you have to make a choice and then you live with that choice. The third is, is a bit different. These tend to be the micro decisions, these are areas around your priorities and what you value. You know, how important is my Netflix subscription and my Disney Plus subscription? Right? And 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 I might I, I might make a decision in a moment saying, Oh, this is this is really good, but you know, it compounds time over time over time over time and and sometimes my my small commitments end up having lasting impacts and there can be pain from that. And the last one he mentions is pain that comes along with standing on the other side of the law, whether it's through intentionally breaking the law or being through named by the court of the justice as a lawbreaker, And you think about people who, who often go through, you know, have to go every job interview when they get to that question, you know, have, have you committed a crime? Are you guilty of, of this incident or that? And it brings that all up again. There's so many different spheres of regret, and sometimes the choice is ours. Sometimes the choice is made for us. Our decisions, they might be deliberate decisions. They might be impulsive decisions. They might feel like impossible decisions, and we want to reject the choices, but we're forced to make one anyway. Various areas where we encounter this, this pain. But the big question we want to tackle today is how do we get out from under the umbrella of fear or regret to freely live in Christ? If life is full of choices, somewhat upwards of 30,000 choices a day, how do we live out from under an umbrella of maybe a half a dozen choices that we regret? Or choices that have been made for us that we had no say in? That's what we're going to try to unpack this morning. This is a story of regret. Now, First Samuel fifteen reveals the ripples of regret when we fail to fully obey God's word to us. Now, this story doesn't fit neatly with all those other spheres of pain that we talked about. Okay, so what's happening in this story is not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily going to touch directly on each of those various areas that we just that we just mentioned. But it does give us a core principle, I think, for navigating our way out of painful decisions. Do you hear what I'm saying? So people who feel pain from one of those four areas may not necessarily, it may not be because they've done what Saul does here. However, the way forward, I think, for anyone in those spheres will come to light as we go through this story. So here's, here's the outline, and uh, the passage was long, and, uh, and we didn't want to get bogged down too much, uh, but this is sort of the whole sweeping story. And if you, sorry, the text is really small right there, but what I'm trying to show you is how the story sort of brackets, uh, there's parallel parts of the story as you go in and as you come out of it. And so the key part of the story is the middle bit. That's where you get to the nugget of truth in verses 22 to 23. But what we need to know is that God had summoned Saul to do his will, which was to fulfill divine justice upon the Amalekites for sins they committed some 300 years before when the people of Israel were coming up out of Egypt. And so God had decreed at that time when the Amalekites raided this the, the, the children of Israel as they moved up towards the promised land, what the Amalekites did was they came up from behind to where the weak and the stragglers were and they ambushed them. And God swore at that time, he said that that people would suffer his divine punishment. And so Saul effectively is given a command to carry out God's, Holy justice upon this people. This comes through the prophet Samuel. Well, the problem comes in verses 4 to 9. Saul went to do it, but he didn't obey it all the way. God said everything was to be destroyed. The phrase is under the ban. And the idea was that this was God's justice. And so for Saul or any of the Israelites to take things for themselves, they would be robbing God of the justice that he was seeking to put into practice upon the, upon the Amalekites. This is similar to Achan, who when they raided Jericho and they were told not to take any of the plunder, Achan hid some plunder in his tent, and it caused a whole problem for the people. Later, they could get plunder, but God said, this city, this city is mine, and you're not to take anything from it. Well, Saul only partially obeyed the command. And so there's a confrontation that that occurs in verse 10, and it, it picks up, God says in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me. He's not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, the, the, the tough thing about doing topical preaching is, is you don't have the lead-up in this story, so I'm going to have to give it to you very quickly. A few chapters back, there was a crisis in the nation of Israel because they decided they wanted a king for themselves. The people didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a human king to be king. And so God gave in. He said, okay, fine, you can have a king. And Saul was chosen. Samuel knew this was bad. <laughs> And Samuel is arguing with God about why it's so wrong that they would reject God as their king. But nevertheless, God gave in to their demand. So you can now see Samuel is here praying and wrestling all night. Maybe you've been in a situation where where you felt God was leading you to do something, and then you did it, but you had your reservations, but you were doing it because you felt God was calling you to do it. And then... It goes pear-shaped, as they like to say here in Australia. not exactly sure what that means, but I think it means it goes badly. Uh, so things go badly, and, and, and then you're, you're up all night arguing with God, saying, God, this is what I told you would happen. This is what I said. This is why I didn't want to do that. This is, this is why, this is why, this is why. You get that sense with Samuel here. He's angry. God's filled with regret. Samuel's filled with regret. But nevertheless, he has to go confront Saul, He's turned away from me, has not carried out my instructions. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up, went to meet Saul. He was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. He's left. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and turned and gone down to Gilgal, which was the sort of the the cultic uh, site for the people of Israel at that time. So here, Saul is off to erect a monument to his glorious victory, and Samuel is there to tell him that God has rejected him. You see the confrontation coming, don't you? And so when Saul greets him with this chipper the Lord bless you I've carried out the Lord's instructions. We begin to see this is not going to go well. And so the confrontation ensues. Saul's response in verse 15 is instructive. <laughs> the English has has kind of smoothed it out, but Saul says I obeyed I I did what the Lord wanted me to do. I totally wiped out the Amalekites. Samuel says, why am I hearing this livestock? (laughs) And then Saul's answer literally is, they were brought, (laughs) they were brought from the Amalekites. The soldiers spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, but we totally destroyed the rest. It's a it's a, it's a statement designed to minimize his own responsibility. Samuel's not going to have it enough he says verse 16, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said although you were once small in your own eyes, remember Saul was not he 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 was a bit fearful and insecure. Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did, not become, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you high king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul wants to minimize his responsibility. Samuel says, you're the king, mate. But I did obey the Lord. Verse 20, Saul said, I went on the mission. I mean, surely, like, do we have to obey God all the way? I mean, it's just sort of the vibe, isn't it? Right? You said go, you know, take vengeance on the Amalekites. I did that. I mean, you know, I went down there. I got the army together. We sort of did it. Like, come on. I did obey. I completely destroyed the, the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. He's, he's, he's unable to see. He's so deluded in his own thinking. He's unable to see that that's a contradiction in terms. And then he starts to blame shift. Verse 21, The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, he, this is probably right. You know? That's probably probably what happened. I'm sure there was pressure as they're destroying this, this group of raiding people. And they come across all these choice animals. And you can just hear the soldiers saying, Oh, uh, do we really got to? I mean, this is a great ox. Like this thing, this could be the stud for our herd. You know? Do we, do we really need to get rid of this one? And look at these lambs. I mean, so think about, think about the festival we could hold to the Lord. Think about the sacrifice we could give to God at Gilgal if we just hold on to these things. It's not too unreasonable to think that may have happened. And we get to the crux. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? As much, excuse me, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Saul, so, don't you get it? Like God's not into the worship service more than he's into you worshiping him. He's he, he's not into the ritual of sacrifice if it means you haven't actually yielded your heart to him. Saul thinks that it's really more about the smells and bells. It's about, it's about, you know, making sure the music's great. It's about making sure that, you know, everything looks good on the outside and, and having this great religious time with God. God, wasn't that a great worship session? Wasn't that a great teaching time? Wasn't that a great hour of prayer we had together, God? And wasn't it all so fantastic? And then to walk out the door and say, yeah, but now is my time. Saul, don't you get it? And he makes the equation for him in verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. To reject the word of the Lord is to, in fact, try to call other spiritual power to work. To turn away from God's word is to seek evil spiritual forces. And arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. The word arrogance there could also be translated presumption or pushing. Pushing. Saul, you're pushing the limits here. You've pressed your will. You've pressed your will so much you have no room for God's command. And you think that if you, if you hold the festival, it's all going to be good. And Saul says... Oh, sorry, we get to the big part. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. You see, now the truth's starting to come out. He's starting to see it. I I gave in to them. I was afraid. I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel says, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And then you have this kind of in-person parable that happens as Samuel starts to walk away. Saul, in this gesture of pleading and supplication, reaches out for him. Think about this when the woman reaches to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Saul reaches out to grab Samuel's robe, and it tears And Samuel turns around and he says, just as you've torn this piece off the robe, so God has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you. He's going to give it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. He who is the glory of Israel doesn't lie or change his mind. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Now, isn't Saul repenting here? I don't know. You be the judge. Verse 30, I have sinned. But please, honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. I know I did the wrong thing, but does the leadership have to know? I know I did the wrong thing, but do we have to make this a big deal publicly? Can't we just move forward as if nothing happened? And I'm going to handle this privately with God. So then we come to the end, and, and Samuel is the one who fulfills God's command. And God regrets that he made Saul king. And what's so sad at the end of this story is that Samuel and Saul never, never meet again. They never, have a, they never come together again after this. They lived less than 15 kilometers away from each other. There's a break here. In this story of regret, we see that how we make decisions reveals how we view God. How you make decisions reveals how you view God. Saul was willing to obey God to a point, but he missed this understanding that partial obedience is full rebellion. And so when we observe what's going on in the passage, there's regret everywhere. First of all, God regrets. God regrets that he made Saul king. This is a challenging passage because this word regret or to change your mind or to repent is used multiple times with God as the subject. Now we want to say, God, how, well, you know, you're God, you're in charge, you made Saul king, how can, you, how can you regret that decision? And some are wise to point out to say that, you know, this is God reflecting a, a response to an action. The only other time God is said to regret in this particular way, it comes in Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 6 verse 5 and 6, listen to what this says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and how every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. It's the only other time you see God regretting like this. What came next was the flood. God is clearly grieved over this. Samuel regrets that basically his whole life work is undone. His his whole job was really to judge Israel. That was taken away from him when Saul became king. And then his job was to really mentor Saul, to sort of pastor Saul, so that he as the king would be the spiritual would have right spiritual input and could provide good leadership. Well, all that is 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 what? So imagine being in Samuel's shoes. Your life's work has gone up in what? Smoke over this one bad decision. And then you have Saul, who has been told that God's anointing has been taken away from him. He is not gonna be the king anymore. All because he let a guy live and he didn't kill some animals. There's regret everywhere. All right, let's look at the anatomy of of a bad decision. So to to see what went wrong, uh, we need to ask the question, what could have happened? And then where were the turning points? Um, Sorry, there's a ton of information here. You don't need to copy it all down. But this this is where he went wrong, all right? First of all, Saul, he didn't carry out God's command. Imagine if he, just, if he just was faithful to God and did what God said. If you go on to read the, the king who's better, uh, that's King David. If you go on to read him, he faces some really tough decisions, and he doesn't always make the right choice, but you see over and over and over again, David, Saul's successor, being trying to be very careful about doing what God says. This is the second time where Saul has flaunted the Lord's instruction. Um, he seemed to forget that he is God's king and he's not the people's king. And this can happen to us, can it? We get so infatuated with what the world defines us as, with our own position and our own power and our own authority, with our own reputation. We get so focused on the place that we occupy in life that we begin to make decisions in order to hold on to that or in order to attain that. And so we forget that actually, as Christians, we belong to Christ and that he is the one who informs our destiny. He's the one who numbers my days and shapes the direction of what I need to do. And we begin to think, no, actually, it's, it's, it's other people. It's these relationships. It's this boss. It's this company. It's this, that, or the other thing. These are the ones who make me who I am. If we begin to think that way, we're started down a bad path. Saul went wrong because he obeyed God only to a point that it benefited him. You see, it was all well and good when he was winning battles, but the moment it put some tension between him and his soldiers, the moment he had to look like the bad guy, well, now he's compromised, right? He was willing to obey God only to a point. Brothers and sisters, do not be surprised if you're only willing to obey God to a certain point, if He keeps pressing that point. God cared about the character of Saul more than He cared about the kingdom of Saul. He was willing to take the kingdom away from Saul to confront the flaw in His character. He feared men more than he feared God. He equated obedience with ceremony and sacrifice. Um, you know, we all get this one. He diminished and dismissed his responsibility. Ah, it wasn't really me. <laughs> right? And he valued his position more than he valued God's presence. But let me tell you what. The main problem, the main thing that went, went wrong for Saul is not everything that led to this point. It's what happened next. Because Saul spent the rest of his life trying to remain king instead of accepting the better king that God had chosen. There was another king in the room. There was another king in his kingdom. And rather than accepting God's judgment that Saul was not going to be that man, Saul resisted it and he put it off and he kept pressing and pressing and pressing that he would rule and that he would reign. And the rest of his life, he's chasing David for something he's never going to get. And what he loses in the process is a lot more than the kingship, because if you look at the next chapter, verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He lost the Lord in the process. Wow. It's confronting. Now, how do we break bad decisions? Uh, Questions three and four. Where are we susceptible, and what is the better alternative? Um, It's important to note that there's a difference between coming to a decision and then living with the decision that's been made. All right. There's a pain that can come as you, as you come to a fork in the road. You can, you can experience that paralysis of analysis. Raise your hand if that's you. You're a paralysis of analysis person. Yep, yeah, a few nods. Um, the rest of you are lying. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the other one is post decision pain, right? Um, and and we've got to realize that, that there is pain that's before a decision that's different than pain that comes after a decision. There's also a different comfort that we seek. All right? So you need to recognize where you're at in the decision. And Paul, excuse me, Saul, is not turning the page here. He's, he's, he's trying to deny the reality it was a bad decision. If you're in the pre-decision phase, well, God has said, he's invited you, ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Ask me. I will teach you my ways, he says. So pre-decision, absolutely. Seek the Lord. Seek counsel from other people. There's so much that can come for you to help take away some of that paralysis, some away some of that pain. And I recognize sometimes the fork in the road looks like two bad directions. But God is still sovereign and he can still give you wisdom in that space. But I want to focus some on the post-decision. Look, Notice that God sent a messenger to Saul. Sometimes we ignore God's messengers. We can go wrong by not fully surrendering ourselves to God by thinking that we thinking that we're on the altar, but, but really I haven't fully given my heart over to the Lord. As Pastor Eddie said in Sermon in Scripture this week, you know, part of us reads this story and wonders if Saul had ever really got to that place of full obedience, that place of surrender. To say, Not my will, but your will be done, God. We don't know. We can go wrong by seeking to be esteemed by the world. This is a huge one because our world is a glory factory. Of, <laughs> we, we manufacture trophies, we manufacture prizes and ribbons. We want, you know, the, the world will, they'll be celebrating you as you take your victory lap. Meanwhile, Samuel's coming. <laughs> Meanwhile, the confrontation with God is, is lingering around the corner. So we've we got to be very careful not to equate what the world applauds us for with doing the will of God. We can go wrong there. Obviously we go wrong by covering or minimizing our sin, by failing to repent, or by using religion to mask a rebellious heart. Again, all the church services, all the you know all the bible studies all the books on the shelf all, all that stuff if that if that's just a front if if that's a facade if you're if you're leaning on that as some somehow propping up a heart that's aligned with God when it's really not beware beware be careful but i suspect most of us most of us can relate to Saul because we've all We could probably all name something that we know that was the wrong thing to do. I bet you if we did an inventory here today and if you were pressed, the Spirit of God could identify in your heart a handful of decisions that you know or maybe you feel are a bit like Saul. You were a bit too presumptuous. You were a bit too pressured from other people. Your own fear and insecurity snuck up on you. And at the end of the day, you were only willing to go so far with God. And, and, and after that, it was, it was about you. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you, your story doesn't have to end like Saul's. It doesn't have to finish there. It's not the discipline of the Lord that makes Saul's story tragic. It's what happened after the discipline of the Lord that makes it tragic. You see, Saul had within his own house a better alternative Saul's eldest son was a guy named Jonathan who was set to be king. He was set to take Saul's throne, but Jonathan didn't cling to that desire to be king. Instead, what did he do? He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with God's anointed. He said, you are the better man. You are God's king. I can see the hand of the Lord is on you. And so I'm not going to worry about what was coming my way. And instead, I'm going to throw my lot in with you, Jonathan. Or with David. (laughs) You see, brothers and sisters, this is the path for us. There is a better king in the room. His name is Jesus. He will love you. He will care for you. He will protect you. He will redeem your regret. If you would just bow the knee to him. The biggest mistake we can make is to try to hold on Hold on to that own, to our own authority. Hold on to our own position. Hold on to our own power to think that that's going to secure us. Christ redeems my regret when I surrender my will to His kingship. The Bible says that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's something you either believe or you don't. And the encouragement to you is to say, believe it now. While there's an invitation. While he's got the door open to his kingdom. While he's saying, come on in. I will let you share. I will let you be a part of this. Take the window now as the invitation. Give up on trying to make your bad decisions look like good ones. know when to leave the table and say, Jesus, I'll throw my lot in with you. This is why, to me, it's so beautiful and fitting that we're going to celebrate baptisms today. Because you've seen from the text, you've seen from God's word what not to do. (laughs) But now you get to see in, in real life, in living color, what to do. You're going to watch three people of all different ages and experiences stand up and tell you that they have made the Jonathan decision. (laughs) That's my wife. She laughs. (laughs) I don't try to get her to laugh, but I'm glad she laughs quickly. (laughs) Right? The Jonathan decision, meaning what Jonathan did to say (laughs) that he is not going to try to hold on to his own position, but he was going to submit to the Lord's anointed and so uh, today as we prepare, um, I'm excited. and I hope you're excited too. But I want you to know that this, this invitation is to anyone. That's the beauty of our king. He opens the doors. He forgives. He has mercy. He redeems and restores even the worst of choices. All we need to do is stop trying to cover over the ones And be honest with our grief. Now I'll say one more thing before the band comes up and band if you want to come up now you can. Um, The last thing I want to say is that I recognize that over this whole series there may be things that you're finding difficult and you may want to process and there's a lot of good that can be done through processing your pain with individuals. Um, We we on the pastoral team and eldership, we are not professional counselors, all right? Uh, there is a space for that. I encourage you to make, to make use of that. That may be what's needed to, to, to help with your pain. But we can certainly be a spiritual encouragement to you. And so after the service today, um, I'm going to ask uh, Warren, who's one of our elders, I'm going to ask Pastor Eddie to be available as well. If you feel like you want to talk through something or you want to make an appointment, you're like, hey, this is a decision that I j- it's just right in front of me all the time and I, it's, I can't get out from under it, I encourage you, make a time to talk with someone. We can at least pray with you. You don't even have to share the details with us. Just, just let us know we can pray with you as you seek to get free from that. Uh, With that, I invite you to stand as uh, Eva and the team lead us in a beautiful song of surrender. I encourage you to think through the words of this song, and uh, may this be your heart's cry before God.